0: Chapter Eight of Sister Simon's Murder Case by Margaret Anne Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Eight. Late in the afternoon, Lisette lay on as much of her bed as Evie had left to her, and did her best to think about nothing. She and Ted had prolonged their picnic until nearly one o'clock, coming back barely in time for him to change into his uniform and make it to the dock for his first boat trip. The pleasant relaxation of the morning still lingered with her. Because of Sybil's foresight, the Do Not Disturb sign on the door was having its effect. On the other bed, Jenny sat cross-legged in her slip, little piles of papers all around her. Sybil, the volunteer guard, was curled up on Jenny's pillow. I'm going to poison that lousy Ivy, Evie said. Hey, you don't care if I use your nail polish, do you, Liz? Lizette grunted. She had been smelling the strong banana odor for quite some time. What, Ivy? she asked. You're not supposed to talk to her, Ev, Sybil said. She's asleep. She'd sleep better if you kids got out, Jenny remarked. I'd be real still. I'm studying. What, Ivy? Losette asked again. The one over the lobby arch, in the hospital. The way it swings, it gives me the willies. Just when the door is open, though... Jenny put in. That's all it swings. Well, sure, but look at last night. The stupid thing swinging away and nobody coming in. Couldn't they have gone in the waiting room? You wouldn't see. The woman was in the waiting room. Oh, glory, it could have been the murder... The word was cut off as if a hand had been clapped over Evie's mouth. Sibyl's hand, because Jenny took up the idea in a frightened whisper. Do you suppose he dragged her outside and plunged a knife in her? Jenny, Sibyl cautioned. Lizette sat up. Jenny was looking at her as if she herself had just confronted the murderer face to face, and Evie had spilled the nail polish in her lap. Now look what you made me do, Evie squealed, and Sibyl snapped. Don't move or it'll go all over the bed. Like blood, Jenny whispered. "Jin, I'll choke you yet, Sibyl warned. But Evie cut in excitedly. I don't see why we shouldn't talk. My brother-in-law says Liz is going to be next. What does your brother-in-law know about it? Plenty. Gordy says maybe the guy was right down there on the waterfront when Liz talked to the woman, because that's when she said the woman got so scared, and the cop didn't believe you, Liz, but Gordy does. He says you've sure got good reason to worry. I haven't been worrying. Then you better, because Gordy says you're the only one could really identify him. "'You look maybe right at him, and he knows it.' "'But I don't know it. "'I mean, I have no idea what scared the woman. "'Sure, but even the cop says it was somebody killed her "'who followed her up from the waterfront and robbed her. "'Robbery wasn't the motive. "'How could she be afraid ahead of time "'of somebody that was going to hold her up?' "'You see,' Evie declared triumphantly. "'She leaped up and a sticky puddle of polish "'streamed to the floor.' See, you talk just like Gordy. He says you'd better look out. Ev, will you shut up? Sybil commanded. Get your skirt off. It's ruined, anyway, and wipe up this mess. Well, it's fair to warn her, and I wouldn't be in her shoes for a million dollars, Evie muttered, but she stepped out of her skirt and went down on her knees, mopping. Surprised at herself for trembling, Lisette lay down again. Her own possible danger was something she had not considered, she hadn't seen the person who frightened Danny Greer. She had told the police so. It would most likely even be in the paper tonight. But the criminal couldn't be sure. The only certain means of preventing identification by her would be, to. The darn stain isn't coming out at all, Evie wailed, rubbing at the floor. What'll do I do? Use some polish remover, Sybil retorted, in a tone short of patience. Not Lizette's either and get a move on. I've got to wash my hair. Well, go ahead, and you don't have to bite my head off. I guess I'm just as good a friend of Liz's as you are. Heaps better if I... We're all friends, Lizette broke in, so let's act like it. Going out on a heavy date, Sybil? The only thing heavy about it is the character I'm going with. Chuck? Roger. I can't stand him. Then why go? Jenny asked. "'I wouldn't if somebody else—' "'Gin, how about you?' "'Me? "'You must hate the guy,' "'Everie remarked, getting up with the skirt wadded in her hand. "'Shut the door as you leave,' Sybil so suggested. "'Oh, cut it out, kids,' "'Lizette sighed. "'Leave us to have peace and quiet.' "'Everine's large dark eyes, "'so affected with the ash-blonde hair filled with tears,' Liz, you're so good. I just hope nothing, nothing, I mean. Farewell, friend, Sybil said, as she marched over and kicked the door shut on the very tail of every slip. Friends are nice, Jenny burst out unexpectedly, and Evie has real good common sense. I haven't. Mother Richard says so. I haven't got any judgment at all, except bad, and Evie's scared, right to the marrow of her bones. That's what friends are for. "'To scare the liver out of you?' Sibyl asked. "'To do things for you, when you're in trouble or in need or something. Then your friends help you out. I'd do anything for Liz.' "'How about for me?' "'But that's different. I've never been out with a boy in my life.' "'You handled the queen business last year, without breaking a leg, didn't you? So you can muddle through this. And look what's in it for you. A didn't come out of a wash-boiler, scintillating conversation with a razor-brain.' I wouldn't know what to talk about. Worms, said Sibyl, seating herself again on the bed. He's a biologist. Or dead cats. He's taking anatomy, too. Now you're laughing at me. I'm not so dumb I can't tell when you're Janny, dear, Lizette said, doing her best to remember that patience is a virtue. Honey, why don't you go out with Roger and have a good time? Don't be so tense. You're a sweet child, and you have a lot more on the ball than you think. Roger will love you. If I could be like you, I'll poison everything. I'd go in a minute. Forget about poison, you'll have it. I haven't got a thing to wear. How about my orchid nylon? Sybil asked. You look like the Saurus of Timbuktu, with your blonde hair. You haven't even worn it yet yourself. What if I tear it? Dearie, this is a dinner party, not a wrestling match. The door burst open and Antonia bounced in. Phone for you, Liz. Who is it? You're one and only. I thought he was on the high seas, Lizette said, but she reached for her housecoat. Thanks, Tony. Bye-bye, kiddies. See you much, much later. Aren't you coming back? Jenny asked. She means we won't be here when she gets back, Sibyl explained. Okay, just for that we'll borrow her shampoo. You can dress in my room, too. "'Grab the unmentionables, and we won't have to bother Miss Exclusive again.' Sybil certainly meant business,' Lizette thought, as she went down the hall. "'Sibyl never lent her clothes, and never shampooed any hair but her own. "'She probably had another date up her sleeve for tonight.' "'Hi, Ted,' Lizette said into the telephone. "'What's new?' "'Nothing much. Did I wake you up?' "'In this monkey house?' "'Hardly. "'Going on duty tonight?' Of course, at eleven. Why? You'll sleep through the dinner hour? I was planning on it. Then I won't come over between trips. I'd like to go back and see what's up with poor old Waddy anyway. Looks to me like he's in a bad state. Sick? Practically. Wanders around like a chicken with his head cut off. He knew Danny Greer. I told you that. I remember. I've been wondering if the old guy didn't maybe want to marry her sometime. Before Mrs. Waddy, that is. She'd have been too young. He has grown up sons. Yeah, you're right. But he's sure taking it hard. Liz? What? Wouldn't you come over and see her? He's done a swell job on her. No, N-O. Well, have a good sleep. I will. Ted, I... The kids were saying... I mean, Evie thinks... Thinks what? Nothing. What is it, Liz? Nothing, honestly. Will I see you tomorrow morning? I'll be on the doorstep with the morning paper. Jerry's tooting for me. Bye, honey. Lizette put down the telephone slowly. Ted was not an alarmist. He would never agree with Gordy, and she could hardly be in danger for the next few hours. Let the future take care of itself. She picked up a scrap of chalk and wrote on the blackboard, No calls. Carter. When she reached her room, the girls were gone. A great deal of chatter issued from Sybil's room down the hall. Lisette shut herself in, pulled down the shade, and flopped onto the bed. Almost before she kicked off her slippers, she was sound asleep. There is no help for it, Snodgrass, said Mr. Waddy. Still he came once again to the door of the small room and looked out across the lobby into the drawing-room chapel. No, he said finally, turning back. No, it's much too public. We couldn't protect her out there. Here we can. I feel that this is rather cosy, sir, Snodgrass said, and he tilted his head to one side a mannerism he had picked up from Mr. Waddy. They had pulled the heavy drapes shut and turned on the ceiling light, and the glare skidded across his bald head. He moved a candelabrum two inches farther away from the head of the casket, then he stepped carefully around the kneeler to move the candelabrum at the foot two inches. He had to step carefully, for there was very little room. "'A nice layout, sir,' Snodgrass said. Mr. Waddy knew it was a nice layout, the nicest he could devise. The casket was lined with the palest of shell pink, and they had found a dress of the same shade. It had been worth the trouble. Danny looked like an angel asleep, and she would have complete privacy here. This little room, tucked in behind the stairwell, was entirely removed from the usual range of visitors.' Vince would be pleased. Snodgrass, will you make a call for me? Mr. Waddy asked. But Snodgrass had disappeared. Vaguely, Mr. Waddy recollected that the telephone had rung. When Snodgrass, a moment later, called him to answer, he turned up the lights and closed the door upon Danny. He would give Vince a ring himself. Mr. Waddy had rather been expecting Chief Wakely to get in touch with him and he was not surprised when the officer's terse greeting came over the wire. What was a little surprising was the question he rattled into Mr. Waddy's ear. Mr. Waddy, who is paying for Danny Greer's funeral? The old gentleman closed his eyes and drew a long breath. Wakely was smart. Mr. Waddy? Yes. Yes, Chief. I'm sorry. I asked you. I know what you asked me. I cannot give you an answer. Why not? "'Because, sir, I must not divulge private information. "'A mortician must maintain the same code as a lawyer or a doctor. "'The dead have no dignity except with the living preserved for them. "'Perhaps the police hold to the same belief.' "'There was a short pause. "'I'm going to have this information, Mr. Waddy. "'You'll have to give it to me if I get a court order.' "'I realize that, sir. "'Then I'll get it.' "'Without the formality of a good-bye, the line went dead.' Slowly Mr. Waddy replaced the receiver. Judge Deaver would have to issue the order, and he was out at his summer cabin. The order couldn't come through until tomorrow. No need to be concerned about it. Take care of the other matter first. He put his finger into a hole ready to dial in number, when the gong for the front door stroked the quiet. "'I'll get it, Snodgrass,' Mr. Waddy called. But before he could do so, the door opened, admitted a man, and closed. Mr. Waddy was disturbed. The sign over the bell outside advised the visitor to ring and enter, but this one hadn't waited even a second, and he was not a particularly soothing individual. He was a big fellow, the sleeves of his black shirt were wrinkled, as if they'd only recently been rolled down. The shirt was buttoned to the collar, but he wore no tie. He had, in fact, the remains of mud on his blue jeans. "'Yes, sir?' Mr. Waddy inquired, putting a frown in his voice. The fellow looked at him up and down. You're Henry Waddy? I am. I'd like to see Danny Greer. Mr. Waddy returned the scrutiny in silence. His was not the only undertaking establishment in town. It was the oldest and the best, naturally, but that was no reason why this unruly looking stranger should assume that Danny should be here. I want to see if I can identify her, the man added that will not be necessary sir the police are already satisfied as to her identity mr Waddy took a step forward definitely suggesting that the unkempt boots should remove themselves from his good grey carpeting but the fellow didn't budge the identification is for my own satisfaction not for the police mr Waddy merely folded his arms the fellow would have to do better than that the strong darkly bearded chin lowered a trifle The eyes, gray and cold, remained upon Mr. Waddy. If he had combed his hair, he had done a poor job, but artistically poor. Something about him, the set of his head, that wild hair, something tugged at Mr. Waddy's memory. The eyes narrowed. I'm a tramp, the man said, and there was the viciousness in it of old tempers. A carnival tramp. I make figures out of mud down on the waterfront. So that's where I've seen you. Mr. Waddy said, Not this summer, though. This summer, the old gentleman shook his head. No, I haven't taken the time to visit the carnival this season. I've never been on the waterfront before this summer. Mr. Waddy's plump shoulders lifted. It did seem much longer ago. Surely, he couldn't have forgotten a recent visit to the river because Mrs. Waddy would have objected strongly, and he never went anywhere like that without her. Pico, Pico de la Mara the fellow added, but you wouldn't know my name. Nobody does. I'm, hey, you, down there. No, said Mr. Waddy. No, that name is not familiar at all. But, about Miss Greer, she stopped to admire my work. That is, I believe it was her. The cops are around this morning asking questions. I'd like to be sure. Didn't they describe her to you? Listen, the fellow began roughly, and immediately amended his tone. Listen, do you have any idea the number of people stopped during a day? Even if I'd modeled one of those dinky mud heads of them, I couldn't tell you what they looked like a minute later. All I know is they pay me a buck. Think the cop can understand that? No, he gets sore because I can't say, right, 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 she's the one. Burned me up. I'll drop by and see her, I told him. That's the only way I'll be sure. And he said okay. Mr. Waddy could reasonably hesitate no longer. He couldn't quite restrain another glance at the dirty boots, but he led the way around the stairs to the small room, opened the door, and snapped on the light. The fellow, he hoped, would be content to glance in over his shoulder. But he wasn't. Pushing past Mr. Waddy, he went over close to the casket. The candles were not lighted, but even without their softness, Danny was a wax angel. The man took a long time to look at her, It's her, he said. Danny, what was her name? Greer, said Mr. Waddy softly. Danny Greer. His hand was on the light switch. He was not going to permit this carnival tramp to remain any longer than necessary within the clean confines of his establishment. End of chapter 8